Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? This is your girl, Lady T. Listen, you guys are here for another episode of Go With God. Listen, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody for their love, for their support, um, and just for everything that you guys are doing as it relates to the podcast. Um, getting a lot of great buzz and a lot of great feedback, so I just want to say thank you for that. Listen, you guys are in for a treat tonight. Um, today's podcast is entitled The Danger of Covenant Relationships, and this is coming from a sermon series at my home church, um, and this was me actually teaching a Bible study lesson about it. So without further ado, uh, I want you guys to kind of come in, take a listen, uh, take some notes, share, like, comment. Uh, here we go. Dear God, we thank you and we honor you. We bless your name. We give you all of the praise for you are good. Dear God, we ask that as we teach tonight, God, that you would be in the midst. Uh, we ask that your presence will be with us, God, um, and that you will be faithful toward us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Forgive us for all of our sins, God, that you may not only hear our prayers, but God, you may hear our petition as it relates to love-hate relationships. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's up, y'all? So um, tonight, obviously, we're going to be talking about love-hate relationships. Uh, Pastor Jay has been doing a wonderful job, a phenomenal job um, in the love-hate relationship series. Um, and I think it's so important, not just because it's February and we just celebrated a Valentine's Day, which BTW, happy Valentine's Day to everybody, singles and non-singles alike. Um, but you know, and also the fact that it's black history month. Um, but I think it's extremely important, um, that we kind of talk about these types of relationships because they are a part of our daily living. Um, there are moments and times where the very thing that you love, you end up hating. And I think that it's extremely important that we kind of talk about what happens in those relationships, because I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of times when we get in those relationships, once love turns into hate, we break away from the relationship. And I honestly believe that God has the ability um, to turn anything into a good moment. You know, he can take anything and build it for his glory. But do you believe that? You know, that's the question that we have to start asking ourselves is, do we really believe all of God's word or do we only believe parts that fit us that, you know, don't challenge us to grow? Um, and so with that being said, um, I was asking the Lord, what should we talk about in love, hate relationships? Cause there's so much to talk about and uh, keep living. Cause you're going to go through this. You're going to go through relationships that you love first and then uh, that you hate, but I do believe that God can restore the love. Uh, but at the same time, I did want to talk about a specific type of relationship where if you're not careful, the absence of love not only creates hate, but it creates coveted relationships. All right. So tonight we're going to be talking about the danger of coveted relationships. All right. So if we were at powerhouse, you know, I would have everybody raise their hand and be like, you know, tell me what coveted relationships are. Um, we've kind of left coveted, uh, covetousness, uh, in the Old Testament, but it's alive and kicking. Um, and to be honest with you, it's one of the 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 sins that we don't really talk about, but it really happens often if you're in relationship. You start coveting things that other people have because of your disdain in the relationship. Um, so of course, you know, the, the basis or the premise of that text comes from Exodus 20, um, verse 7. And it pretty much says in the King James Version that thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, uh, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his maidservant, nor his manservant, nor his ox, nor his butt, or his, uh, not, not, but <laughs> I didn't want to say the word, <laughs> his donkey, sorry, the translation is his donkey, uh, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. 
Um, and then there are other scriptures that kind of coincide with um, that commandment that the Lord gave to the children of Israel um, after they had came out of the land of Egypt. The Lord has set up um, commandments for them. Uh, it wasn't really just for their guiding, but it was also to reestablish them as God's chosen people. Um, I think when we look at the Old Testament, because Jesus came to fulfill the law, we feel as though uh, we don't sometimes need to go back and take a look at how God has always put parameters around his people so that we are distinguished, meaning, you know, there is no confusing who's who. Uh, we live in a society in a time now where it's very confusing to tell who's God's people and who's not God's people. Um, so while the Old Testament, while Jesus came to fulfill uh, the Ten Commandments, he turns around and he tells us that out of all the things, hope, joy, love, peace, you know, out of all the things, out of all the commandments, you know, being kind to your neighbor and all that good stuff, you know, the biggest thing that God tells us to do is love. And for those of us who live long enough, you know, we can honestly say that when I love something, I don't hurt it, not out of fear, but I don't hurt it because I love it. And that's a completely different mindset. It's a completely different um, motivation. I'm not afraid to get in trouble. It's I love it so much that I don't want to do anything to hurt it. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight is the danger of coveted relationships. Um, so Exodus 20 verse 17. And then we're also going to talk about some other scriptures. All right. Everybody cool? All right, cool. So I felt like it was important that in order for us to talk about this, we first have to kind of break down some of the words that are synonymous with covet, but are not the same thing. So jealousy is one of the main words that's synonymous with covet, but it's not the same thing. A jealousy is anytime that you're showing envy to someone for their achievements um, or advantages, and it comes from envy. All right. So I'll say it again. So, so jealousy is me showing you that I envy what you got. It is me actually doing an act to show you that I'm envious of you. That's what jealousy does. It makes you overcompensate. It makes you uh, insecure. Um, it makes you not only doubt, but it puts you in a state of being where you have to constantly do action. You have to constantly upstage and show that person um, because you're jealous of what they have. And that stems from envy. All right. The other thing that I wanted to do on the opposite scale is admiration. God calls us to admire. Uh, and admiration is the feeling of liking or appreciating. It comes from the root word admire, which means to regard with wonder or approval. You know, that's what God tells us to do. So when you see your brothers and you see your sister, don't be jealous of who they are, what they are, and feel like you got to upstage them, but instead admire them and applaud them for them following in the will of the Lord, following in the works of the Lord, doing what it is that God has called them to do. That's the difference between the two. Um, and the reason why I thought that this is important is because both of those um, admiration as well as jealousy, envy, sometimes we kind of get it confused with what is coveting. You know, what is coveting? And so when you really start to look at the definition biblically on what coveting is, it comes from your lust or from your desire to have something specifically that belongs to somebody else. All right. So those are two words that we didn't talk about in jealousy. We didn't talk about in admiration. Stick with me. We didn't talk about it in those two words. 
Covet is literally your lust or your desire going rogue. Okay. It's a polluted lust or a desire that puts inside of you saying, I want what the other person has. And you had to be careful of this because the enemy, let me help you. The enemy will make you think that desire is a bad thing. Okay. Lust, yes, is a bad thing, but God has put desire inside of you so that you can desire him. Oh man. So desire is not the bad thing, but what are you desiring? Are you desiring something that you can handle, AKA that is fleshly related? Because then that, then that falls into the enemy's territory. All right. Or are you desiring something that the spirit is yearning for? Cause then that, that falls into God territory. Okay. Let, let me, let me help you. Let me help you with that. So fleshly desires and lusts produce sin. Okay. It is your way of saying that this desire that I have, I believe that I can make it happen. Ooh, Jesus stick with me because a lot of us feel as though, you know, well, I'm capable of doing it. So let me go get it. Yeah. But you did not consult Holy spirit on how to go get it. So now what you're doing is you're moving ahead of God and your desire has now turned to lust. Okay. Because you feel as though you can do it without consulting God. Oh man. So the enemy wants you to think that desire is a bad thing. No, no, no. Desire is not the bad thing, but what are you desiring? God built you with desire so that you would desire God. But when desire does not have God qualities attached to it, you have no other, uh, you have no other way than to pursue it out of your own flesh. And once you start pursuing out of your own flesh, that is where you start to get into lust. And once you start getting into lust, stick with me, that's where you start to get into temptation and sin. <sighs> I had to look at the scripture and look up the scripture in James where it talks about when sin has become full grown. Because we read the scripture and we really don't, don't take an opportunity to be like, well, what exactly does that mean? So, so let's go to it. Um, I think it's James chapter one, I believe. Let's go to King James. This is good. This, this is good. All right. So verse 14, so James one verse 14, and I want to read this to you because I want you to pay attention to what James is saying about sin. Um, and it says, but every man is tempted and it's verse 14. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. All right. So what happens is, is you wanted something. In other words, temptation doesn't work unless you want it. Whew. Are you hearing me? Te oh gosh. I sound like pastor Jay. I've been watching too many of his lives. Okay. Um, <laughs> But temptation is only uh, alluring you away when it's something that you desire, when it's something that you want. But here's what happens. You want it so bad that you will do anything to go get it. And so the Bible says in 14, every man is tempted when he is drawn away by whose? His own. God didn't tempt you. And let me be honest with you. The enemy didn't tempt you, didn't tempt you. He presented something to you that he's been watching you desire. Oh, Jesus. 
He's been watching you desire this thing and he has now put it in front of you to find out will you consult God to go get it or is your luster that appetite so strong that you will go after it yourself. It's clear right there in James. It does not say that uh, every man is tempted when he's drawn away from the lust or from the temptation that the enemy put in front of him. No, it says every man is tempted when he's drawn away from his own lusts and enticed. You start to crave, you start to salivate that thing. Then when lust hath conceived, meaning now you're starting to put all the pieces together in your head, it bringeth forth sin. In other words, it's starting to get big. You're starting to put the plan in motion. You're starting to put the action in motion. You're starting to find out the pros and the cons, the consequences and the rewards. You're not just starting to think this thing, but you're starting to put a plan of action into it. This is the danger zone. It's bad enough you thought of it. It's bad enough you were enticed by it to think of it. And now that you're thinking of it, you're putting in a plan so you can go get it. And then the Bible says, and sin, when it is finished, when it is finished, in other words, when it has finally moved you away from God and his agenda, it is now finished. Why? Because I don't have to do anything else with you. I don't have to do anything else with you. You've put the plan in motion. I found out what you wanted. You're already giving birth to it. And guess what? It is guaranteed. The Bible says it bringeth forth death. It is guaranteed to bring forth death. And guess who put all the work in? You did. Hallelujah. I hope that you're with me because I'm not saying it to you so that you feel some type of way or that you feel bad or anything like that. That's not why I'm telling that to you. I'm telling you so that you begin to understand how sin works in your life. A lot of times you have to start checking yourself with Holy Spirit to find out, God, where is there sin in me? Search me, O Lord, and tell me where the sin is at so that I will not become snared to the sin. Hallelujah. I know for some people, this word is not going to be popular and that is okay because I'm going to help you. I'm going to show it to you in the scriptures. Uh, in the scriptures, if you pay attention to well, one of the stories that we're really going to talk about tonight and everybody should know the story. And I promise you, I'm actually almost done. Uh, we talk about it all the time, but the Lord showed me some crazy stuff in second Samuel. This is the story of course of David and Bathsheba. Um, and I think it's one of the highlight stories as a relationship to talk about covetousness because you have to pay attention to how David got caught up in this moment with Bathsheba. And when you understand how David got caught up in this moment with Bathsheba, it's going to change how you view sin. You're not going to be the slow one on the bus to wait until you've sinned to try and correct the mistake. You're going to watch how sin develops and starts to uh, uh, form covetousness in relationships. So remember tonight, we're talking about the danger of coveted relationships. So before we get into, to, to, to David, I do want to go ahead and just say this so that you have a idea as to why God put this, um, into the scriptures in Exodus. And a lot of times you have to remember that it was the mindset of old that if I see something abandoned, and I desire it, I can take it. All right, I'm about to help you. I'm about to help you because I kind of talked about it a little bit. But when you're in these relationships, you have to understand that abandonment 
Let me help some of you. Abandonment, the spirit of abandonment and feeling isolated and or abandonment. I know I'm helping you out. You run the risk of either being the coveted thing or you being the person who desires to covet something. Let me say that again. Abandonment breeds desires because you no longer are in the safety of the fellowship and you are no longer in the safety of God. That's different than God leading you into a wilderness. Abandonment is you feeling as if everybody left you and or isolation is you removing yourself from a situation when God did not tell you to be isolated. Okay. So when you run that risk in old, God put that in to the, uh, to the, uh, 10 commandments, because during that time, it was not uncommon where if somebody left something abandoned and the neighbors saw it, even though it wasn't the neighbors, it was not uncommon for them to go take it. Even if they didn't need it, ah, it speaks to greed. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's speaking to greed. Oftentimes a lot of us see the abandoned thing and think that we can play God with it. All right. A lot of us see the isolated thing and go over there to form a relationship with it, thinking that we can save it. We can heal it. We can deliver it. Oh, am I talking down your street yet? You start to think that you can play that role when the truth of the matter is that is the definition of coveting. If God did not send you over to that relationship, don't go over there. If God did not send you to that dream, don't go over there because you run the risk of coveting what God has not yet released to you. Oh man. So in Exodus, the explanation stood to show that, listen, I need to make it very clear for you. If it is not yours, don't touch it. If I have not given you instruction on what to do with it or how to move with it, do not touch it because I don't want you to fall prey to getting into bad practices of taking what doesn't belong to you. I know for some of y'all, y'all like, where is she going? I got you. I got you. Second Samuel. Hallelujah. This kind of leads into second Samuel when we're talking about it with David. And I promise you that I'm almost done. Of course, everybody has heard the story of how this has to do with coveting. Everybody I think has, has, has heard it. And so I like taking stories that we've always heard and asking God, is there anything else? So initially I wasn't going to use this story because I know everybody else has used this story. But when the Lord really started delving into this story with me, I had to, as always do some research. All right. Y'all ready for this? Y'all going to give me 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then I'm going to be done. So I want you guys to line up questions. If you have questions, cause after this, I'm going to be done. All right. So in coveted relationships, you know, you have to know that coveted relationships are springing from your hate in what you used to love. All right. I used to love the thing. I used to love that. And now I finally see my opportunity to gain it. And so I'm going to covet it. I'm going to take it for myself. I'm going to let my desires and my lust take over. I'm going to make a plan and I'm going to take it. But that is not the will of God for your life. So I need to give the background on David because oftentimes it's easy for us to point the finger at David for him sleeping with Bathsheba. But once I start to look at his story, I need to start asking you all the same question because it doesn't just happen overnight. Hear me and hear me clearly. Coveting does not just happen overnight. 
Nine times out of 10, you have got something in a relationship that you used to love and you now hate. All right, so let's do the background. All right, y'all ready? Let's do the background. So the background is that David, you know, he was the youngest of Jesse's sons, right? And uh, he's a shepherd boy. And, you know, Saul is, is scared to fight Goliath. Right. And so David goes and, and, and he fights Goliath, you know, and he beats Goliath. All right. So from that day forward, you know, David is really known as a man of war. And I don't think oftentimes we, 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 we attribute that to David because he's, he's so gentle and he's so sweet and he's so loving, but David was an expert in war and he got his start in that early. And so the reason why this is important is because the background is that David was in love with Michael. Okay. Stay with me. And Saul allowed her to marry David, even though it was customary for the oldest sister to get married first. All right. That's what happened with, um, Rachel and Leah, you know, uh, with Jacob, you know, Jacob got mad cause he really wanted Rachel. And then he had to work, um, for, for, for Leah. He ain't really want Leah though, but you know, he took, he took Leah, you know, cause he had to, cause it was customary. Then he had to work another seven years in order to get Rachel. Okay. So it was customary for the eldest daughter to <clears throat> be married off first. Michael, however, was the youngest. Okay. But she loved David. Stay with me. She was in love with David. She was infatuated with David. Do your studies, do your reading. It's in first and second Samuel. Okay. But we're in second Samuel for time's sake. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. It's second Samuel chapters 11 through 12. Okay. But you go back and you can read those for your own story. Cause to be honest with you, I'm only going to stick within the first couple of verses, but I need to be able to give you some background. So he was in love with her. All right. But because he was a man of war, because he was the youngest and because she was the youngest, Saul said, listen, I will give you Michael's hand if you go kill a hundred Philistines and bring me back their foreskin. All right. I know they be asking for weird stuff, weird stuff in the Bible, but I promise you it's in there. Do you read It's in there. Saul was hoping that David would lose. Saul was hoping as always that David would be killed in battle. So even though it wasn't customary, Saul put a petition out there to David in hopes that David would lose. All right, stick with me for the background of the story. So David says, listen, all right, cool. I will go and I will not only kill a hundred, I'll kill 200. Saul says, okay, go ahead. So David goes, he comes back with 200 foreskin. He kills him. Saul says, you know what? Cool. Cause you got to remember Saul's been trying to kill him for a really, really, really long time. He don't like David no more. David is just stealing all his shine every five seconds, you know? So Saul's trying to kill him every chance he get, he's trying to kill him. And doesn't that sound like the enemy assigned to your purpose and your destiny, always trying to manipulate you into killing some, uh, into killing you. Always trying to find a way to kill you, to take your life, to take you up out of here, always. But what I loved about David and what you see up until this point is you see David constantly doing his purpose. So let me say that to the rest of you. The way you're going to outdo the enemy is by staying close in the hand of God, by staying close to the purpose of God. By fulfilling your role in the purpose of God, no matter what the enemy throws at you, no matter what people throw at you, it is your responsibility to stay close to the will of God. Amen. So 
he's going and you have to remember, you know, David wasn't just there for Saul. Um, like I said, he's a man of war. So the Bible talks about how David, you know, he was a great psalmist. He played the harp. He played the lyre. He was a, a, a worshiper after God's own heart, but he was also a man after war. So what does this have to do with Michael? Easy. Because he was always at war. All right, read your word. Because he was always at, at war, he wasn't always the best husband. Uh, he wasn't always the best husband. So imagine how Michael felt. She finally got the thing she loved the most, but she can't keep it because the thing she loved the most is needed by other people. All right. <laughs> so you need to start to see the strain that it puts on Michael and David. All right. So he stops being, being good at being a husband or, or he never really gets the opportunity to explore his husbandship, or we don't see it in the text because his gifts are so valor that he's needed everywhere else. Okay. So even after bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, this is how he was able to bring back the Ark of the Covenant. This is, you know, when he's singing his songs and, 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 and Saul's getting upset. And one of the things that you'll see here at this time, you know, Saul, Saul dies, uh, um, during this transition, Saul dies. And what happens with Michael is Michael is kind of upset because this whole time she thought David would be for her and he was for everybody else. I believe that the Bible even talks about how he had other wives during this time, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that was interesting is we see Michael pop back up when the Ark of the Covenant comes back, he goes to war and he gets the Ark of the Covenant back. And during the time that he gets the Ark of the Covenant back, I need you to pay attention to this because here's how we get into second Samuel. Here's how we get into second Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant. When it comes back, Michael gets so upset at the way that David is dancing that the thing that she loved, she now hates beyond belief. Stick with me and her hate for David now transfers over to David where he hates the response that Mikkel gave to him. Oh man, y'all with me still? I know I'm going to get to it. <laughs> David is so focused on doing what the Lord has told him to do that not only is he winning battles, is he bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, but coincidentally, he kind of left out being a husband. He was not able to be the husband that she needed him to be. And it created a level hallelujah it created a level of disdain in her so much so that it trans not only transferred over to david but now anything that david did that had to do with the glory of the lord she now had an issue with it so when he comes back dancing and she says you look ridiculous why are you dancing like that in front of all these maidens david then turns around and says what i'll get more undignified than this in other words, don't come at my neck about us finally bringing back what's important to me, which is the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible goes on to say that Mikkel and David never had children again, nor did they have relations again. <sighs> Y'all with me? So here we go in 2 Samuel. In him, in David, admitting or in this moment where David is no longer interested in his wife, hallelujah, it reveals to the enemy an area that he's weak in. 
Pay attention, pay attention, because this is how the enemy gets us all the time. Circumstances come up in our lives, and rather than us going back to rectify the situation, we don't. We walk away from the situation, and when you walk away from something, here goes that abandonment, you open the enemy up to really see what is weak in your life. And if you're not careful, you will then begin to do what? Covet what is weak in your life to make it strong, or you will then become the coveted for somebody else. All right. So here we go. Point number one, coveted relationships cause me to desire the wrong things at the wrong time. Just because I want something does not mean that I need it. We have to get that in our head that just because I want something doesn't mean that I need it. And just because I may need it doesn't mean that it's God's timing for it. Everything that God gives us requires a level of stewardship. So if my desire is pointing me in a direction to go get something, my responsibility is to ask Holy Spirit, when can I have it? And when I get it, how do I steward it? It is not up to you to be your own sustainer. Hallelujah. It is not up to you to be your own sustainer. Go to second uh, Samuel chapter, um, second Samuel chapter 11. Ooh. So here you'll see in the scripture that the desire is not the problem. It's who or what is filling that desire that becomes a problem. The Bible kind of shows something in verse one that I wanted to kind of point out and it'll kind of bleed into my other two points. It says, uh, uh, the first, you know, the first kind <clears> of, <throat> excuse me, verse on that it says in verse one chapter uh second samuel chapter 11 verse one it says in the spring of the year i'll stop right there okay you have to understand that the springtime represents the time of rebirthing so it's important to understand that during this time the winter had already washed away old things it had already cleansed the earth and it's getting ready for the replanting of seeds and i came i believe prophetically to let some of you all know that i understand that maybe you have coveted some things maybe you have desired some things in the wrong timing and in the wrong season but i did come to declare to you that god is giving you a moment and an opportunity to wash away that old season so that he can replant not only what you desire but instruction on how to get what you desire amen love reveals the desire so this is love, hate relationships. Your love will reveal the desire that you have. And there's nothing wrong with the desire. I want to keep reiterating that, but coveting creates a sinful lust that goes to any length to obtain it. So what you used to love, once you now hate it, there is no room for you to see God's view of it. The only view you see is filling that void. And if you're not careful, you will begin to desire to desire, excuse me, the wrong thing at the wrong time. And if you start to desire the wrong thing at the wrong time without God's influence, I promise you, you will fall into a seed or you will fall prey to covetousness. Amen. Point number two, coveted relationships cause me to esteem my needs higher than God's appointment for my life. Let me say that again. Coveted relationships cause me to esteem my needs higher than God's appointment for my life. This is huge because I no longer see what God desires. I only see what I need. 
And if you're not careful, you will become the God of your own life and you will become the provider of your own life. Now, I know for some of us, we feel as though, well, I have means to get what I want, but do you really? You only really have means to get what you need, not the way that God does things. When God does things, it's not for you. God gives things to you for others. All right, let me say that again. You have the ability to get things that you need and it stops with you. God's way of doing things is I give you a seed so that the harvest is for others. And if you're not careful, your lack or your hate for the relationship, the person, the thing that you're in will cause you to esteem your needs higher than God's need for you. And that can be a very lonely place. Hear me and hear me clearly. You have a very limited view of who you are, what you are, and your future. God has the ability to see all of it and see every aspect of it. But if you're not careful, you will begin to esteem yourself higher than what God's requirements are for you. And once you get into that place, how then can God be your God? I'll say that again. How then can God be your God if you are your own God? See, coveting isn't just a matter of you acquiring or you taking something for yourself. It's creating doubt in your mind that God will not do it. God will not fix it. He will not renew it. He will not restore it. God will not do anything. So what you really do is you belittle God and make yourself bigger than him by saying, I know how to get my needs met better than you do. I've been there. I know how to move faster than God. I know what I need better than God. I know how to move better than God. I know how to do everything better than God. And it's because the thing I love, I now hate. And because I hate it, I find ways to cope with it rather than deal with it. Somebody say deal with it. You have got to learn to deal with every area of your life because if you're not careful, that is how the enemy opens you up or sees your weak areas so that he can start playing in them. Amen. All right. Last but not least, point number three, and I'm almost done or pretty much I'm done after point number three. Covenant relationships cause me to sin with what I'm meant to kill. So this one hit me like a ton of bricks. All right. So let's go back to, to, to second Samuel verse 11. If you've got your Bibles open, I thought this was powerful, powerful. And it's all going to make sense where I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about temptation. It's all going to make sense. I don't need to read all of 11 or 12. You read all of 11 and 12, but I want you to pay attention to this. And I'm in the English standard version of the Bible. And the Bible says in the spring of the year, the time when Kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. And his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbith. But David remained in Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon or in the evening when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, which is his, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. Now, remember what I said about Michael. So this isn't something that, you know, we go to verse 11 and we get mad at David because he saw Bathsheba. The enemy realized that him and Michael were never going to get back together. Hear me and hear me clearly. The enemy saw that because Michael and David would not reconcile. And so what he did was pay attention to the language of the text. 
The Bible says that in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out, here's the first mistake. Here's how sin happens. David did not go out when the kings were supposed to go out. He never went out when the kings were supposed to go out. Instead, he sent somebody else to go handle the job. Now, I don't know exactly what was going on with David at that time, but remember, I already set the groundwork for you that David was good at war. He was good at war. So the Bible doesn't necessarily say, but how many things are you good at that you finally get to a place where you're so good at, you get laxed in all the other areas that you're weak in? How many times are you really good at something so much so that you start to get laxed in that area because you already know it's a guaranteed win. David already knew it was a guaranteed win. So his first mistake wasn't that he lusted after Bathsheba. His first mistake is he did not do his assignment. His assignment was to go out when the kings go out for battle. That's number one. Number two, the second part of the assignment, and, and, and you have to do your study in order to really understand this, is if you pay attention to the text in Deuteronomy chapter 29, Deuteronomy chapter 29, 16 through 18, it blew my mind when the Lord showed it to me. Uh, the Bible says only in the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you as an inherent, as an inheritance, you shall not leave alive anything that breathes. Now I'm going to stop there at verse 16, because here's what happened. Saul was supposed to kill Hallelujah. certain people. And for whatever the reason, Saul did not kill certain people. We all know the reason you'll have to go back and do your reading as to why he didn't kill certain people. All right. So here's the proclamation where God is specific as to who is supposed to be killed. So that the children of Israel can not only possess their promised land, but because these specific people will always be a problem to the children of Israel. Okay. Watch this now. Verse 17 says, you shall utterly destroy them. The Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the um, Perizzite, the Hevitite, the Jebusite, as the Lord your God has commanded you in order that they may not teach you to do according to all their detestable things, which they have done for their gods so that you would sin against the Lord, your God, so that you would not sin against the Lord, your God. And I know y'all like lady T, where are you going with this? Remember the point is coveted relationships cause me to sin with what I'm meant to kill. Let me help you with this. This is how crafty the enemy is. David chose to sleep with Uriah's wife. When you look at the text, the Bible says in verse six. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Uh Oh, <laughs> did you catch it in Deuteronomy? The, de- the declaration was sent out. Kill the Hittites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. So Uriah shouldn't have even been in the picture. Oh my gosh. Uriah shouldn't have even been in the picture. But because somebody fumbled the ball, the Hittites are still around. That's number one. Number two, David has decided that this specific Hittite, you when you do your study on Uriah, the Bible says that this specific Hittite had the opportunity to be converted into a Jew. Stick with me. But if Saul had just done what he was supposed to do, there might have been a possibility that David would not have even recognized Bathsheba 
because she would not have been married to Uriah the Hittite. But since we're here now, and since Uriah the Hittite has been turned, hallelujah, into a Jew, the Bible says that he was the most loyal to King David. All right. So David automatically has a problem. He didn't go out when the Kings were going out. He had an issue with Michael that he never, ever resolved. So now here we go. I'm now lusting after the very thing that my predecessor was supposed to kill. Hallelujah. Not only was my predecessor supposed to kill, but it was the decree. It was the decree of the Lord that there should be no more Hittites. There should be no more Amorites. There should be no more Jebusites because they would always be a problem. But because that was not done, David said, all right, well, you know, you are a Jew. It's not a problem. And let me make this clear. None of this is Uriah's fault, but I want to show you how crafty covetousness is. It's not just the act of taking something that doesn't belong to you, but it is a sin that spends time learning you so that it knows what you're going to to take because you're empty. So here comes Uriah, Uriah the Hittite. He's a mighty man. The Bible gives his history that he was a convert. He was loyal to King David, but it also shows that he was supposed to be the lineage that was killed off. So now David's in deep, deep doo-doo. Not only is he not going out to battle, not only is he, is he chilling, has he gotten so confident in his warring that he no longer goes out to war, but it is the first time we see David not only have an issue, but he has an issue that really could have been prevented. Hallelujah. Whew. Are you with me? So what we've learned to do in churchism is we go to verse 11 and 12 and we condemn David. But how many times have we been like David where we've gotten so comfortable We don't deal with our issues. The thing we're supposed to be overcoming or conquering is now in our camp. And then we get mad because the offspring of what's in our camp is now desirable. Help me somebody. (laughs) Jesus. So now here's David, poor David. He's already set himself up for this moment. He's already set himself up for this moment. Because he didn't do anything that he was supposed to do on that day. And because of his empty place, he took another man's wife. Not only did he take another man's wife, but he laid with her. Not only did he lay with her, but he created a son with her. Isn't that just like sin? Remember what we talked about in the beginning. Isn't that just like sin? Isn't that just like most of us? So for us, covetousness is not something that's in the Old Testament. It's alive and it's kicking. And oftentimes when you're in relationships where you're not dealing with the hate aspect, you're only good in the relationship when there's love. But when things don't go right in the relationship or when it's sour, and I have the opportunity to rectify those things I don't. Instead, I start coveting after things that really don't belong to me. I start coveting after things that esteem my needs higher than God's needs. I start coveting after relationships that I really should have overcame. And so now here we are, we're looking at the text as if David really did something wrong, but how many of us can admit that we've been David? Whether you've actually slept with the thing or whether you took it from someone or whether you stole somebody's identity, stole somebody's idea. How many of us have been there because we won't deal with that love hurt relationship? And I know you guys just thought I was talking about, uh, I was just talking about David or I'm just talking about your marriage, but the love hate relationship I'm talking about is the one you have with your God. Oof. 
often we have reflective love-hate relationships because I have a problem with my God. He has failed me in some capacity. He's not meeting my needs fast enough. He's not doing the things that I feel as though he should be doing. And so I start coveting the things of the world to add materialism and add value to me. But everybody knows that that level of coveting, hallelujah, doesn't belong to you. It's never going to give you the satisfaction that you've been looking for. And so as we get ready to wrap up the Bible study, I don't want you just to think about the danger of a coveted relationship, but there are ways that you can move past being in a coveted relationship. You can do that by allowing God to make this season your springtime. It wasn't just the time that the Kings went out, but specifically it was the time that the Kings went out because when they went out to battle, the ground would not be as wet. I come to prophesy to everybody who's had a slippery ground in this past season where you are not only double-minded in your ways, but you're double-minded in your footing. I speak to you and I declare that the Lord is bringing out not just the sunshine, but he's giving you a new set of instructions so that you may go out and conquer. The other thing that I want to leave with you tonight as it relates to that is you cannot start doing other things outside of your purpose, looking for fulfillment. David had got so good at being a man of war that he felt as though I can just take the day off. But not only was that wrong of him to conclude that he could just take the day off, it caused his focus to no longer be on the war, but it caused his focus to be on something else. Stay in the race. And number three, if you find yourself in coveted moments, do know, hallelujah, that the casualties are not just to you. The casualties are to everything around you. The basis of the bottom or the bottom line of that story says, even though David loved her and eventually he married her, the son that they produced must have been killed. That seed had to die. And I can't prophesy to some of you, some of the seeds that have been produced or the babies that have been produced in your life. And I'm talking about spiritual ones. I'm talking about dreams. Let's be honest. You produce that out of a coveted relationship, not covenant, coveted relationship. It was not the one that the Lord gave you. And you're so busy trying. The Bible says that he prayed. The Bible says that he tarried. The Bible said that he fasted. He didn't eat for seven days, but God would not change his mind. And God still killed that baby. For some of us, we feel as though God was cruel in his action. But the reason why God could not let that baby live is because Solomon would not have been born and he would not have been able to build the temple for the Lord. I came to prophesy to some of you tonight and let you know that I understand you want that baby to live. That is the baby you keep crying about, you keep praying about, you keep fasting for. But the Lord said, I have to kill it because you're messing up my line. Ooh, Jesus, I hear that loud and clear. The coveted thing that you have produced is not for me. It was for you. But everything that God gives to you is for the world. And God said, I know that it is hurting you to hang on to that baby. But God said, I am decreeing and I am declaring, I will take that baby, but I will give you one that is greater. Hallelujah. Everybody knows the story of Solomon. Not only was he a man of wisdom, but he was the, known to be one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest king that ever lived. His wisdom was beyond. His wisdom was vast. But also through there came the lineage of Jesus Christ. 
So I know for a lot of us, you know, you want to stay in a hateful state, but your hateful state is causing you to covet and it's causing you to not be able to produce the things that God is trying to get you to produce. So I decree and I declare to you today for those of you who are listening, do not be in a coveted or in the spirit of covetousness. That is the enemy's plight for you so that you can keep aborting babies, aborting purposes. But I decree and I declare that the Lord on today wants to give you springtime so that your feet may be planted and so that you may be able to produce the things that, that God desires you to produce in this season. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. So listen, everybody. Um, I'm hoping that you enjoyed that sermon. Man, um, I think a lot of us have gone through moments where because of what life has done to us, um, we've coveted some relationships. But I thank God for the revelation that it isn't how it has to stay. Um, and so I'm hoping that you guys enjoyed uh, this specific um, series um, and it's specifically this um this podcast. I know it's a little bit longer than you guys are used to. Uh, however, I really think that it's beneficial uh, for us to really kind of get that ingrained in our heads that there are some dangers in having coveted relationships, but God is faithful to teach us um, how to have the proper covenant relationships and not coveted relationships. So listen, as always, if you guys enjoyed the podcast, do me a favor um, and go ahead and send us an email. Go to our page, like it. I know, right? Yeah, guys, we've got a page now. Um, so definitely go ahead and subscribe to our page. Go on the website. Um, and as always, send your emails to gwgpodcast at yahoo.com. My husband clowns me all the time like, why is it at Yahoo? Listen, I'm working on it. Um, to make sure that it gets um, onto the actual site. In other words, that the domain is, is accompanied with the site. Um, so just bear with me. But for now, you know, any inquiries, any questions, any comments, any concern, even any content, uh, content, any topics that you guys want me to talk about, go ahead and log on to GWG. I'm sorry, send an email to GWGpodcast at yahoo.com um, and I'll get back to you. As always, this is your girl, Lady T. Love you guys, and I uh, hope to hear from you later.